eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This is the Skate Podcast on WEI.com and the Radio.com app. Bobby Orr, behind the net, the status, and Orr! Bobby Orr! Orr! For the first time in 39 years, the Boston Bruins have won the Stanley Cup. Talking Bruins and NHL. Sure, old-time hockey. Like it is sure. Yeah. With writer and producer Brian DeFelice. Brian DeFelice is an emerging talent. Bridget Proof. I saw Jack after in the intermission and he was still so angry about the hit. Burn him! And WEEI.com Bruins writer Scott McLaughlin. Great, Scott! Lace him up for some bees talk right now. I'm looking at a It's the Skate Pod on WEEI. Welcome to the Skate Podcast, episode 43. I'm Brian DeFelice, joined once again by Bridget Prue and Scott McLaughlin. Since our last episode, the Bruins have gone 2-1. and one. They split Pittsburgh, and they took care of business against Buffalo. So for the first time in over a month, the Bruins have won consecutive games. Have they turned a corner? Uh, a little bit. I'm mildly encouraged, I would say, because I think that win over Pittsburgh was a good win. That was a, a hot team. Uh, I was playing well, and they're a team that you're competing with for those four playoff spots. They're one of the teams that you might have to beat if you get to the playoffs. Uh, so that was encouraging, especially you know bringing up Dan Vladar and getting that start out of him. I think that was a huge boost. Kind of that might have been my favorite thing to watch yeah. all week. And did you see the new behind the B where they they showed him after the game and he said he's the happiest man alive? Yeah, the, it was so was nice to in see his press that. conference. Yeah, he was. So I remembered this from like the summer too when he was up. Um, his first, the first game he got called up, like right after Rask left, he had like a bunch of stuff going on. I think his sister was getting married at the time, and he, you could tell he was just like so joyful and so happy, like just to like be getting this opportunity. And it was the same thing this week. And like you know, it's a great story, and I think it gave the team something to kind of rally around and get them to feel good. And then, like we said, it carried over into Buffalo. They took care of business which is what you have to do. Uh, you know, I wrote something this week about all the points that all these other teams in the top five in the East Division have been racking up against Buffalo all season. It's There were a combined 17-1-1, the Islanders, Flyers, Capitals, and Penguins against the Sabres this season. So they're taking, they're taking all the points they can get from Buffalo. You have to do the same. You know, you should have two games against them now. We'll get into the COVID pause that canceled the second, postponed the second one. But you took care of business in the first game you had against them, which is what you have to do. Got off to a little, little bit of a slow start. Well, yeah, it would be completely, well. we'd be having a completely different conversation if they looked bad in that game because, yeah. I mean, at baseline, you have to beat them by, what, two, three goals for you to— Well, when you're the NHL certified dumpster fire, as Jack Edwards pointed oh out, Oh, my God. Then yes. He yeah. said, I should have kept count of how many things he said about Buffalo that was just like— Oh my gosh, so bad. Jack Jack has said a lot of things over the years to to annoy me, but 
it's tough to not find him endearing because he is so biased that it's almost very funny. It's really funny. You don't hear him. My mom, who doesn't watch hockey that much, was watching the first period with me, and she was dying laughing when he kept like saying stuff like that. Like, Could you imagine if you were on Twitter and saw that some other team's analysts were like, and the Bruins are just a dumpster fire of the NHL in an off year for the Bruins? You'd be like, what the hell is this guy? <laughs> yeah. You know, it, it's just funny to me how, how he is so notorious throughout the NHL and their fan bases. It's the kind of thing where, like, if the Sabres win that game or, or exactly. split or whatever, like, exactly. you, you can just see, like, their team Twitter account, like, tweeting that out type thing. Right. The problem is, is Buffalo just isn't good enough to back it up. But, or, it's, or, but it's the NHL. Anybody can win one game, especially true. if the Bruins had the mentality going into that game that Jack Edwards had, they would have lost. They would have lost, hands down. And where they still have seven times that they could lose, so it could be coming back I at was, some point. To I was thinking to myself, I was like, oh, I kind of want Buffalo to win now. Bridget, have uh, the the Bruins have they turned the corner? And you know, did they show any signs of encouragement for you? I I think that I haven't seen anything different this week than we saw the week before, and I say that just because the win in Pittsburgh comes with your third string goalie. That's not like a consistent thing that's going to be happening, right? And also the win against Buffalo, you don't necessarily know what you have in those kind of games because you're playing against a team that it's going to look easy somewhat, basically to any team that's played them so far this season. So I have no evidence that they've turned a corner yet. I guess uh, we'll have to see when they come back from from this COVID, little COVID pause. Yeah. Well, I think Scott said earlier, and it's a good point, they're kind of in a lose-lose because they win and it's like, well, they took care of business. Well, if they lose, then we're, we're crapping all over them. So, yeah, they beat a team they were supposed to beat. Um, you know, going to that game against Buffalo, I was thinking to myself, I don't know, Buffalo's lost 12 straight. I mean, they're bound to win one of them sooner than later. I mean, like I said, they're, they're pro teams. They're all pro athletes and they all have their days and, you know, they're not going to lose forever. So it's kind of like, well, the Bruins have to meet more times or seven times. Are they going to get some wins against at the Bruins' expense? I don't when know. When do they play the Flyers again? Maybe they can beat the Flyers. Maybe. Everyone seems to be doing that, too. Maybe. Um, look, from where, I, from where I stand, as far as, you know, if they've, you know, kind of turned the corner and if there's any signs of encouragement, yeah, Bridget. I was going to say, there. I can think of some signs of encouragement, but it doesn't have to do with how they played. It has to do with how the people that they brought into the lineup mm. have been able to play at an NHL level. Like, they were able to get Oscar Steen in yes. and Jack Ashan, yep. and they were able to have good games. I mean, Ashan had, you know, one bad shift here and there, but I thought overall I really liked how he played, and I thought that the guys fit in well. Well, look, I mean, when you when you think of uh, Ashan and Dan Vladar or Vladar or whatever you want to call him, uh, Oscar Steen. Vladar. Vladar, yeah. Apparently. Darth, Darth, Darth Lader. Vl- yeah, um, I saw it. Jack Edwards made a big thing about that. So. I agree, Bridget. I mean, the fact that these kids came in and um, it wasn't it wasn't uh, Vladar's first NHL game. His first NHL game was in the bubble last year and just got lit up was against Tampa. Was his first start. And, yeah, yeah. And it wasn't his fault, you know. They the, had already quit on him. They quit game. on him. Um, Jack Ashan, who we for sure will get into um, later on. Uh, Oscar Steen played well uh, as well. When they're the encouraging signs, though, that's an issue, right? So for me, not nothing against oh. them, but it's like the team going into Pittsburgh, you're looking for a few things. I need to see secondary scoring and secondary scoring chances because the Bruins' first game against Pittsburgh, okay, early power play goal, nice. Halak lets in a few softies. They lose 2-1. to one. So where's that, where's that pick up your goaltender? Because, yeah, Halak let a few in that let Pittsburgh into the game, but he's also played very well in games the Bruins sucked, and neither occasions do they pick him up. And then the following game, deja vu. Uh, you know, the Bruins, again, early power play goal. Okay, good. So the power play scoring, but it's the same guys and it's the same unit. Where's the secondary scoring? And then Frederick scored late, and that was encouraging. Yeah, and but that goal, if you remember, came after they, they got the – they had a five-minute major that they couldn't score on. So yes. that after that Tanev yeah. hit onto Nordy – they they were able to get that five minute major, but not able to do anything with it. But I think just the fact that they won, that they bounced back, that they've won two in a row for the first time in a month, that alone is encouraging. Because sometimes you just have to like you just have to see it happen. And when they've been struggling as much as they have, where they can't follow up one one with, with another, where they aren't responding well to adversity, to bounce back from you know basically a, a blowout loss in the first game against Pittsburgh. To bounce back with a win, and then to carry that over into Buffalo, 
you know, it's not a complete turnaround. It's not a 180. Like, it's not go crazy, but it's it's a step in the right direction, and it's what it's what they needed. And there was some secondary scoring, you know, and against Buffalo, DeBrus scores, Craig Smith scores, mm-hmm. uh, Greg McKeg scores. Mm. So, uh, you know, yes, there are still a lot of problems. There are still a lot of things that they need to overcome that they need to get better at. But I think it's encouraging just from the standpoint of it's a step in the right direction, and it's something that responding from the loss against Pittsburgh and then following up that win on Thursday, those are two things they haven't done much of over the last month. So you're right in a sense where it's better than it's better than um, the contrary, as if you know if they were to lose these games and whatnot. But I guess my my bar for encouragement is just is just really high because for me, am I supposed to be like encouraged that they're getting secondary scoring? It's yeah, like, that's what I thought we meant was like I'll be encouraged when they start playing yeah. like they did in the beginning of the season. Yeah, and, like and when I see that team come back. Agreed. Which and, obviously it's not going to be that team because they don't have the same guys. Like yeah, Kevin Miller's been gone for thirteen games, I think. I mean, Lausanne's been gone. They've had a lot of guys out of the lineup. So we're and and Carlo as well. We're not going to have the personnel from the same team that was winning the way that they were winning earlier in the season. So it's time to see if they can get back doing the same thing, but with the guys that they've slotted in. Yeah, well, that's also why like some some of these are going to have to be grinded out wins, like that win over Pittsburgh, where you know we talk about they struggle for stretches, they don't convert on a five minute major. Okay, but they grinded out the win, and they're not they're not a team that's going to have a lot of pretty wins right now. Except maybe against Buffalo, they do have a lot of games against Buffalo, so uh, that should help. But against the other top teams in the East, yeah, they're not—they're far from full strength right now, so it's going to be tough for them. But if you can find a way to grind out wins like they did, then you know that's good enough to hold you over for now until you get healthy. And that's actually a good way to segue into something else we wanted to talk about, which was. Um how are the COVID cancellations that are coming up for the Bruins going to affect the team? Because Brian mentioned to me off the air that, I mean, there's a there's a good factor in it, which is that they could get some rest here. Yeah, they can get some rest. It gives Don Sweeney and management some time to look over some things. Um, Scott's going to have a good kind of point to this, actually, because, you know, maybe rest isn't the best thing right now. But, you know, I just think that it's not just the lack of scoring for me that I need to see from this team. And when they do come back from COVID, it, I don't know how long these players are going to be out that are on the list. Maybe like They might be out for two weeks. I don't know. But even when this current team is fully healthy and, and scoring and all that stuff, I still don't think they're good enough. But it's not just the scoring. Like I need to see, when we were talking about the signs of encouragement, I need to see Charlie Coyle and Craig Smith and Nick Ritchie and Jake DeBrusque and David Krejci and all these guys. I need to see them cycling the puck down low, using their body, possessing the puck, going from low to high in the offensive zone. It's not just the scoring. It's about controlling the play, controlling the game. That loss to Pittsburgh, the 4-1 loss, yes, even though it looks like a blowout on paper, and you know it's hard to draw too many positives from that, but they did control stretches of that game. Like They did have chances. They had 43 shots on goal, and some of them were... Really high quality chances. Some of them, but it can be deceiving because you know Marshan said after the game, like we had like fifty shots. Yeah, okay, but how many were legit scoring chances? And how many? It's better than you know not getting any shots at all. I, I get that, but and, and and that first game against Pittsburgh, I agree, Scott. Like they did play well for a while. I think the score didn't really indicate how far away that game was. It was a close yeah, game. It probably should have been like a three-two Penguins game. Yeah, and the Bruins something. had some bad luck and all that stuff. And it's just the consistency and playing the right way. Um. Bridget, I'm sorry. I know you asked about the the COVID. Yeah, break. I was actually just gonna reframe it um, to say because of the COVID break that they have right now, they're not even allowed to get on the ice until Wednesday. So you're you're talking about guys being able to you know fix those those kinds of things. They they can't even get in the facility right now. Yeah, I would say like the one, the only silver lining of this break is that injured guys are going to miss fewer games because, in theory, they're mm-hmm. going to be getting healthier. And now that's two games that get pushed back to somewhere else in the schedule. But I think it's a net negative because this wasn't your toughest part of the schedule. I don't think this was the time where, like, you needed a break. I agree. You get you got to get back, right back on the ice against Buffalo, and then you had two full days off before facing the Islanders, you know, the one team you've struggled against that you want to have, you know, maybe a couple days 
leading into it to build up. And if you and, and they actually had that wins. built in now, and now they're gonna say they get back on the ice, say they play Thursday night. Okay, now you're gonna play the Islanders after having almost a full week off, so you can bet there's gonna be some rust, and it means that now an already compressed schedule is gonna be even more compressed going down the stretch, and you do have some older players who probably aren't going to be able to handle that super well. So, you know, you're not the kind of team that I think you want to be playing a bunch of games going into the playoffs all bunched together. Like, you could use a little bit of rest somewhere down the stretch, and now they are not going to have any. And if you had, say that this hadn't happened, and you get two statement wins over Buffalo, then you have your two days off, then you head to the Islanders. You might have a little bit of momentum heading into that series. Now, you're potentially missing five guys, and these are not, you know, just any guys. The guys on the list right now are Jake DeBrus, David Krejci, Sean Corelli, David Pasternak, and Craig Smith. Those are guys that you're going to need in order to beat the Islanders. I'm sorry, I don't see a way that you beat the Islanders this week without with all those five guys not in your lineup. Yeah, and worth, just from a housekeeping perspective, worth noting that as of Saturday afternoon, they were all still on the COVID list. Uh, by the time this podcast gets released, we'll know what the Sunday afternoon list is, so we'll see if any of them come off. But, yeah, I mean, we don't know, you know, who has it, who tested positive, who was just a close Except contact. Corrali. Corrali, I guess, yeah, we can take an educated guess that he tested positive because he was the first one. So See, I don't, I don't know how in these situations it doesn't cause a forest fire where everybody just gets it. They're all, they're all around each other. So I don't and get how some do and some don't really. Especially, let's think about how this all started because it started in the morning before the Buffalo game. They show up to the rink. They ha- they're told they have to go back to the hotel because one of their players tested positive, turned out to be Sean Corrali, um, and that he was going to enter the NHL's health and safety protocol. Then they go back and they play the game. Well, and Buffalo had a staff member who, yeah, I think both teams, yeah, both teams had something going on, it would and be then gra- they came back and played. Yeah, it would be great if if literally anyone from the NHL was available to like explain any of this or answer questions. But they don't. They just they put out the list every day at 5 p.m. and that's it. That's all you get. So it's like, why why was that game played? What happened in that interim that gave you confidence to play? We know there were rapid result tests. We're assuming those all came back negative because they played and no one else missed the game. But we also know that those those aren't super reliable. And we know if there's a player no. who tests positive on a team, it can take a day, two days, five days for it to come for tests to start coming back positive. So it seems like that was not a risk the NHL should have taken, especially because they've already had situations earlier this year. By the way, poor Buffalo, like they had this happen against New Jersey, where New Jersey had a couple players on the COVID list and got cleared to play. And the next thing you know, more Devils test positive, and now some Sabres are testing positive. And the NHL changed things after that, but it's... So we know like what the protocols protocols are that they lay out we know the Bruins had to get rapid testing and presumably all all those came back negative but you know if there was any risk then why are you why are you going ahead with the game clearly there was yes clearly there was and and before the game even started I was like why is this happening this is so unnecessary right now it's so unnecessary and they they knew going into it that somebody tested positive he's they traveled together like, how how are they not going to yeah. be in contact with pretty much everyone? I, what I found funny was that I'm watching the uh, opening uh, national anthem, and I see— and They all have their masks the, yeah, on yeah. and so, everything. So the Bruins—so the Buffalo Sabres bench had masks on. The Buffalo Sabres starting lineup on the blue line had masks on. Yeah. The Bruins starting lineup had masks on on the blue line, but the Bruins bench didn't. And I'm sitting—I'm like, all right, what is wearing the masks on the blue line going to do— when you're about to take them off for a 60 minute game, it make it's, honestly a lot of it's kind of comical, but yeah, and spent you know, two thirds of the game sitting on the yeah, bench. Next yeah, to it's like teammates. you know, like, but I think to close, um, finishing thoughts on this topic, Bridget, when you guys first brought it up before the show, I the only positive I thought to myself was that the the COVID you know cancellations could maybe allow the Bruins to maybe mentally reset and recharge, and sometimes when 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 you're not feeling the pressure of like, are they going to score? Are they going to score? And you kind of get away from the game a little bit. You come back a little bit rejuvenated. And I thought that that could be a positive, but then I thought about it and I saw your guys' response and they did start to come out of the dark a little bit against Buffalo, even though Buffalo sucks. 
and then to Scott's point, yes, they have two days off now. Well, two games off, I guess. But then they're going to have a, a break, and then the schedule will be much more condensed because of this later on, which won't be good. Yeah, and it's and it's not even like, to, to Bridges' point earlier, it's not even like a productive break because you can't be no, working on stuff off the And ice. I will say this, something that doesn't get talked about as much um, as maybe it should isolation is not a good place to get your mind straight. Like, so they're, they're going to be off the ice. They're going to be away from the game, whatever to, they could maybe reset, but also isolation in the way that you have to quarantine yeah. isn't necessarily good for your mental health either. So like that, that could maybe be good for some people, but it's, it's not going to be good for everyone. And Jake yeah. DeBrus kind of brought that up too. Um, like a few weeks ago after one of his, I think it was after the Rangers game, and he was like, yeah, being in isolation isn't really good when you're not scoring. It's all you think about. It's all, you know, so that's a good point, Bridget. Well, yeah, and Bruce Cassidy's made that point a bunch of times going back to the bubble, too, where he was, you know, he's basically said, like, if you're not going home to family or able to go out with some teammates after, you know, whatever you need to do to blow off steam, get your mind off a bad game, like, whatever it takes, it's so much harder when all you're doing is going home to the rink. Home to the rink. Home to the rink. Like, that's that's all that's on your mind because it's the only thing you can do. So, yeah, it's, it, it is tough. And, yeah, I think, you know, I would say if you went to just about every player, they would say that probably the easiest parts of, of all this has been the time that they've been at the rink around their teammates. And, like, that's the place that feels even remotely close to normal during all this. Yeah, and, like, some so. of the silly stuff they do, like, when they sent Bergeron to ha- talk to the kids in the hospital with his little robot video, like, silly stuff, like, that's... But now they can't go... They can't even be at the facility together, so... Yeah, it's... it's. I don't want to say the word, because everybody else says it all the time, but it's unprecedented. <laughs> um, you guys both brought up some good topics to talk about, but before we do, we'll just hit on the... Um, a little bit of a controversial play against Pittsburgh. Um, Jared Snorty left the game. The Bruins' blue line is already depleted, and now your probably your seventh defenseman, when healthy, is now out. Um, Brandon Tanev's hit knocked him out of the game. Did you guys think it was dirty? No. It, it might have been a two-minute minor for charging. Obviously, a horrible result. Very unfortunate the way Tenorti went into the boards. Scary, uh, you know, obviously, no surprise, it's it's a head injury. Like, they're going to call it upper body. We know exactly what it is. But, um, yeah, I mean, he caught him from, you know, a little bit of an awkward angle. I'm not sure Tenorti fully saw it coming. But it, it wasn't dirty. It wasn't to the head. It, you know, it was, wasn't really blindside. It, again, it, it might have been charging. I don't think it should have been five minutes in a game misconduct. Even I mean, live, I didn't think it was a penalty. Even after watching it, I didn't think it was a penalty. That seemed to be the general consensus. It definitely did not warrant a five-minute major. Um, it was, I mean, if you really think about it, he makes that hit somewhere else on the ice, and and the and the injury doesn't happen. I don't see that being called well, in the first and, place. And that's, I guess, where the argument for it being boarding would come in because of the distance from the boards. Like, that is part of the boarding definition. But... I still think it was. It was I still a, think it was a fairly clean. It hit. was a hit that they finished most of the time. Yeah. So, without that kind of result. So it's interesting, because I am as old school as it gets when it comes to hockey. I I don't like when people try to soften the game, and 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 I think the players need to police it themselves. And I, I like when the game's organic and all those things. And when I first watched this hit, I thought to myself, "That's clean as fresh laundry, right?" And I still think it was clean for the most part. But Bridget, you said if it happens anywhere else on the ice, it's it's clean. Well, or you know, whatever. It's not a penalty. But the fact of the matter is from a hockey player's perspective when you're on the ice, I don't think that Tanev is thinking to himself, you know, if I hit him at this speed, this distance away, this could happen, right? It happens quick. But what I will say is this, it was a charge looking back at the replay. Um a bit of a charge technically. What I didn't like about it is that it was just kind of unnecessary. And I think that the whole point of of, of playing the body in hockey is to separate the man from the puck and prevent him from going up and down the ice and and making things happen. Well, Tenorti's in a position who, by the way, I think knocked Malkin out of the game with a clean hit. So there may have been a slight of a target on his back. Yeah, Yeah, he did. But Tenorti is uh, on on one foot dumping the puck in. 
he's not going anywhere. He's going, he, you know, he's facing the boards and he's he's just dumping the puck in. He he is no threat to score. And Tanev took the opportunity to you know lay the lumber on him, which is fine. I just think that it could have been avoidable because there was no need to play the body there. Well, yeah, uh, most most of those plays are avoidable. They're they're taking the extra step to to finish the check that you know yeah. maybe you know you know what it reminded me of was. Nick Ritchie's hit on Yanni Gord in the playoffs. Similar, yeah, yeah. But Ritchie's was later. I think that was much, much more obviously a penalty because it was also like several strides late. Yeah. Whereas I think Tanev got him, you know, maybe one extra stride yeah, after not- Tamardi got hit, hit rid of the puck. Like it wasn't super late. So no, that- it was shoulder to chest. Yeah. It was, and and, and Tamardi was, you know, six seven feet away from the boards. I just think, and look, like I said, I, it was a clean hit. I'm all for it. it it's fine. It's hockey. If there's any argument to be made, is that you didn't have to hit hit him there. There was, you know, the, the only the only reason to hit him there yeah. would be to maybe get a little payback from the Malkin hit, and which is fine. It's yeah, hockey, but a little payback, up, fire yeah. your teammates, lend a big hit or something. But yeah, to your point, it was a little bit. Tenorti had already got rid of the yeah. puck, so you're not you're not causing a turnover or anything, right? But anyway, it, it, that that caused a bit of a stir, and and rightfully so. Like like you know, it was clean, and it was and just it a bad just, result. It, it just adds to the Bruins' problems with with their you know ever changing roster. What I yeah. did what I did like about that though is that if you notice, the two benches get a little animated. There's a big discussion with the refs, and Tanev look Tanev is sitting there saying you could read his lips. He's like you know watch the F and replay. It wasn't you know all that stuff. What I did like though is that. Trent Frederick is the is the buffer between the Bruins bench and the Penguins bench, and you can see Tanev telling him to shut up, shut up. You forget watching these games that that Frederick has only played, you know, forty something games in his NHL career, and he's already standing up for his teammates. I love it. It's it's a great development that he has to be probably the best storyline this year for this team because you know what he is going to be here for years to come, and I just love seeing him. And then obviously he stepped up with the game winning goal. It's good to see. And then he goes down with an injury, so hopefully that's well, not too long. But. One point I would make off that, too, is that the Bruins have to start finding ways to find this energy that they get when their guys get hit. Find that all the time, because it seems like it takes something like that to get them going. Yeah. And it shouldn't. And, like, you know, we've talked about this. Players, coaches have talked about it going all this back to the bubble. You need to create your own energy. Well, I feel like the Bruins haven't done a very good job of that this season. It generally takes like someone on the other team doing something to them, whether it's the a big hit, it. yeah, like whatever it is, and then they get all energy energized. They rally around it, you know. Frederick comes in, guns blazing. So like then all that stuff happens. But how are you doing that when? So like a game against the Rangers, Cassie said something after about how like, or maybe it was the Sabers. There was one game recently where Cassie was talking about how. You know they're not a super physical team or whatever. It's like okay, so how are you getting energized against that team? Because it's it's easier to get get energized when everyone's hitting everybody and yeah. like and you're playing that kind of game. How are you doing it when it's a tight checking game and there aren't big hits and it's just you have to find a way to to be the team that creates scoring chances. Yeah, and, and it's it, unfortunately I don't remember the journalist who wrote this, but I did see something on Twitter about uh, the headline said something along the lines of is fighting making its way back into the NHL is fighting on is fighting coming back and you know I think it is strictly for that reason because they're trying to manufacture some energy yeah. without the crowd there and you look it, fortunately here in Boston um, the fans are going to return as soon as this coming week but um, I, I wonder you know what I do think that even though it's going to be what twelve percent capacity, it may feel like a full a full house for these players, and hopefully they can well, start to yeah. Especially when that. you're when you're used to nothing for so long. I like they said that even like those games at MSG where they had whatever it was two thousand fans, they said like that made a difference. Like it was noticeable. So yeah, normally like if you went from eighteen thousand down to two thousand, you'd be like, wow, this stinks. But when you go from zero for like almost a full calendar year. To two thousand, yeah, yeah, it goes. It goes from a scrimmage to a game. There were games yeah. this season that felt like a scrimmage because of the fact that there was just nothing going on. And like you've when been there, you've, yeah, you've if, been there in person. Yes, yeah, so the very first game I did there this year felt like a scrimmage. They were playing the the first game. Chara came back. Yeah, it was not like an NHL game. I'm just telling you that right now. It's like watching a practice. Yeah, do you guys? 
if you were to look into your crystal balls, do you think that maybe for the start of next season you'll start to see arenas with full capacity or uh some well yeah sure. if it's up to the states they all make their own yeah I mean like you, you look at like like the Texas Rangers are they're planning to have full capacity for opening day for, mm. for baseball season but it's so. different for them because they're well first of all, it is Texas, different outdoors. Second, it's outdoors so it's yeah a little bit different but yeah I think I think you'll probably see some you know it looks like we're gonna have a large percentage of the population vaccinated by the summer certainly by the fall so I think you'll see some and you'll see some states who play it safer and you know, I or maybe maybe up to fifty percent by next fall or something. Probably like that. a good roadmap to look at to see who started letting fans in first this whole time. It should probably go the same way to start next season. Like yes. these are the Texas and Florida. The, these are the ones that are gonna be mm. first to open up all the way and we're as, gonna be, you know, at the end here in Boston. As if the Lightning didn't need any more competitive advantages. They're, they're already the best <laughs> team on the ice, now they got the full fans. Or they will probably, but not to mention the Panthers, you know, because their yeah. their crowd's always so great. So. I know, you know, it's tough because the Panthers, they're <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, that, that that's why I've been saying forever, Scott. Like they need to relocate the Panthers to Quebec City, the, the, or at the, least put them like actually in Miami, I, close to Miami. Like that no, arena, Miami, that arena is like forty yeah, minutes from even, downtown my, Miami. Even the Dolphins and, and, and Marlins can't draw a crowd. My, the, no, the Miami it's, demographic, it's not a good city. But I was in, I went to Quebec City a few years ago, and I just couldn't believe. Um, how they have deprived that city of, they don't even have a team, and they have a sixteen, they have an eighteen thousand, yeah, state of the art arena just waiting for them just to have a team there. one day, yeah, and you have the Panthers down in Sunrise that are a good pro. Imagine Barkov and Huberto in, in Quebec City, like they're a good product. Yeah, if they don't want to add another team after Seattle, they should relocate them. Not that this is a Panthers well, that, podcast, that's but what it's gonna, that's what it'll have to take for a Canadian city. And obviously Quebec would be at the front of the line yeah, it's a real to get a team. Yeah. The NHL is not going to put an expansion team there because no. there's not enough American TV money. So. <laughs> there actually was a uh, there was a, there was a funny thing I saw about uh, a newspaper out of Buffalo had like a power rankings and they had they had the Sabers at 32 <laughs> behind Seattle, <laughs> 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 which was funny. Oh, that's I mean that's even worse than what Jack said. So, um, yeah, yeah, right. So Bridget. I know you want to talk about some NHL debuts. Why don't we get into it? Yeah, just quickly, if you guys want to give your thoughts on, first of all, I guess we'll start with Vladar. We talked on, about him a little bit, but we didn't even talk about the save that he made. How did you feel about that diving sta- save with a stick? I feel like that was, that was awesome. That was probably the nicest save I've seen all year. Yeah, and he, you know, he humbly spun it as just pure luck, which obviously is a factor there, but I like to. Uh, Jay Leach, the Providence Bruins coach, uh, I for, might have been Mark Diver. My default is anytime something comes out of Providence, it's Mark Diver who reported it. Yep. But uh, he had a quote where he said, like, you know, he can call a lock, but I've seen him do that before because he never gives up on a shot, which is like like that is part of the scouting report on him. It's like he will dive around like he's not he's not just going to be like, ah, oh, crap, I'm out of position. Like he'll he'll jump back in and he's aggressive. Um so, yeah, it was an awesome save. And I guess bigger picture looking at Vladar is you got to feel really good about your goaltending going forward. Now, there's going to be question marks at the end of the season about Rask and Halak, who are both unrestricted free agents. Do you bring one or both of them back, or what's your plan going forward? Is Vladar ready? Is Swayman ready? But those are two young goalies who look really promising and have played. And they're really not well. going to know the answer to that question until they see how far they make it in the playoffs. Because yeah. if they think they still have the kind of team that can make it next year, maybe they do bring back both Rask and Hawk. But other than well, that, honestly, you never know. Tuca might not want to come back. He might just he could just retire at the drop of a hat. We don't know. Like so, to Scott's point, it's good that we have that that security blanket that we know that the position, like unlike. Unlike the center ice position, we have no idea. We have an idea, Jack Stanika and, and um, you know John John Beecher and kids like this, but they're in the system. But there's no knowing if they're going to be anything more than a two or three center. And it's like, well, you're going to lose Bergeron and Krejci for sure over the next couple of years. You know, maybe three, four years of Bergeron. But at goaltending, you know that the the future is at least serviceable, if not more so. And to Scott's uh, comment about. Vladar saying, you know, uh, it's a one out of a hundred save. It's luck, you know. It is luck, but 
you know, that if luck you don't try, that you're luck not doesn't get happen. It. That luck doesn't yeah. happen if the effort's not there. So, and that's the biggest takeaway: the the effort and the secondary efforts on the rebounds. And that, that that's what made Tim Thomas so endearing uh, in Boston. Yeah, he was he was rambunctious in the goal, and he was always out of position. But he never let in a goal because of a lack of effort. Yeah. And sometimes with over the years, some of the issues with Tuca has been he's got all the talent in the world. Is the effort there always on second and third rebound chances? When even when his defense isn't doing well, great in front of him, and and even know? even aside from effort, I think Rask sometimes suffers from mental fatigue. J- j- no, not mental fatigue. I think he suffers in the eyes of fans from just the fact that he's more of a just a well positioned goalie. Like he's not going to be the goalie who's right. diving around. It's, it's more mechanical. Like he's in the right he's spot. Not his no. movements are all like exact; they're precise. So he's never going to be like far enough out of position to be diving around. Yeah, to be stacking the pad, right? And kicking so like, straight up. So what, yeah. you're, so what you're saying is, would Tim Thomas get so much praise for so much effort if he wasn't going from blue line to goal line to make a save? <laughs> I guess to your point, and that's that is a good point. Yeah, and both ways can be effective. Obviously, there's a lot more goalies nowadays, like Tuca, who you know have gone through every goalie camp imaginable coming up, so they all play basically the same style. There obviously aren't as many Tim Thomases because that's just not an inefficient way to play, and only a select few super talented goalies can get away with it. Mm-hmm. It's like, like you know, it was like like how people would try to copy Dominic Hasek back in the day, and it was like, no, absolutely not. Do not copy Dominic Hasek because you're going to like miss so many savable shots if you try to do Dominic Hasek. Bridget. I have a very important question, and maybe Scott can answer it too. How do you officially pronounce the name for Tory Krug 2.0? Jack Ashan. Is yes. it Ashan? That's yeah. what I've been saying, but I've heard it other other ways, and I don't want to butcher it. Cause... Yeah, I said over under 2024 for when Bruins fans collectively get it right. So I, it's, <laughs> We've it's, got some time. <laughs> I, I believe it's Jack Ashan. Yes. And so when people, when I started hearing people liken him to Tory Krug, I was skeptical just because, like, that's such a high bar. Um, but when he played uh, his first game for the Bruins, I'm not going to lie, I saw it. I saw it when he – there was one play where he took the puck he at the blue line, drifted in, and ripped a shot as he was coming towards the net. He skated back, like, backwards kind of just like Tory Krug did. Mm-hmm. I, I saw it just at least in that shift mm-hmm. that he has the potential to be like him. I think I see a little bit more Grizzly, actually. And I know, you know, a lot of people for years have sort of put Krug and Grizzly together as they're essentially the same player. Like, they're not. There's they're differences not. there. Different Grizzly is better in his own end. He's a better skater. Krug has the better shot. He's better. He's better off set plays in the offensive zone when you have possession. So, like, the, there are some differences there. And I see, at least so far, a little bit more Grizzly in a Sean, where it's like, he uses his speed so well. He turns quickly with the puck to get it back up ice. Uh, you know, we didn't see a ton of his shots, so I don't, I can't speak to that. He hasn't been a huge, huge goal scorer the way like Tory Krug, his final year in college, I think was Michigan State's leading goal scorer on a team that made the NCAA tournament. So you know, Krug had, like had that history, and then obviously when he got to the Bruins, that playoff series against the against the Rangers, he walks right in and starts scoring a bajillion goals in that mm-hmm. series. So I don't know if Sean has like that kind of goal-scoring upside, that kind of lethal shot that Krug has. But I, what I think he does have is like the skating of a Grizzly. Yeah, I think that I think it's a good point, Scott. It, it remains to be seen just how uh, dynamic he, Sean can be from a goal-scoring perspective. Though he did have uh, one, 103 points in his career at um, St. Cloud State. I don't know how many of those were goals. It was probably somewhere around 20, if I had to guess. But um, Tory Krug was a very, very is a very, very dynamic offensive defenseman. But his skating, even though he worked so hard every time he was on the ice, Krug's stride was a little bit more choppy. Uh, you'll notice with Sean, like Scott said, it's closer to Grizzlick, where it's a, he, he's a smoother skater. And I think... You, he may even be a better skater than Grizzlick, considering the fact that he's even shorter than Grizzlick, but may cover the ice as as effective as him. Uh, what the other difference between Krug 
because there's a lot of similarities between the two. Uh, Ashan's like 5'7", 185. Um, 100-plus point, smaller, undersized defenseman, uh, NCAA defenseman, was a former captain of his team. and Both, I think, had over 100 points in college. And we're, both were undrafted. Um, but defensively, I think he may be better than... I think he is, for sure, going to be better than Krug. You even saw it against Buffalo. Uh, you saw him anticipate passes, and he got down and, and was able to block a lot of... Um, you know, passes and shots, and quite frankly, he could have had two goals against yeah, Buffalo. He, yeah, he took his chance. He, he hit the post, if, I, if I'm not uh, mistaken, on that shot that I was talking about earlier where he drifted in. He just barely missed that. And uh, I forget which Buffalo defenseman it was, but one of his shots, he he, uh, he came off the bench, and Pasternak was on the, the left-wing boards, and he, 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 he put it across ice to the right point where Sean tried to go far side which was a good shot, and it maybe hit the post, might be that shot. But then the rebound was there in the crease, and if it wasn't for the defenseman on Buffalo who kind of got lucky and, and poked it out of there, Sean was right there ready yeah. to put in his first goal of his career. And he was noticeable on both ends of the ice. Yeah, he, uh, him and Camford did get pinned in their own zone a couple times, especially early in the game. But part of that is like, you know, with all due respect to Steve Camford, like how much of that is playing with him, you know, obviously his – Best days are, are long gone. He's he's there as, as your veteran taxi squad guy, and he's been forced into action because they're so banged up. So but. I guess the, the next question is then, if you put him on the uh, on a pair with somebody that's more of a regular, like more of a top six Bruins defenseman, how do you think that he ends up looking? Probably a little better. Um, just in the sense that he would have more help in the defensive zone. Um but, you know, I don't know if I'm, like, ready to put him on. Like, I wouldn't put him on a top-four pairing yet or anything how like about, that. How so. about comparing him to your old Vakaninen? You want to see him next or you want to see uh, Vakaninen again? Well, it's interesting you say that because – are they both left-shot D, though? Yeah. Ah, uh, that's – okay. Well, but Vakaninen's played a little bit on the well, right. I, I was going to say, well, Bridget, when you pose that question, I could see those two being a pair, although they do play the same side. But, like you said, Vakaninen could play the right side. Yeah. Look, I think um, Cassidy's also very reluctant to put two young players. Yeah. Well, together. here's the thing: you're not going to put a Sean with 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 McAvoy right now. You're not going to put him with Grizzly because they're too similar. Um, and I could have seen with Carlo. If yeah. Well, Carlo's a, Carlo's the one probably, and there's so many injuries in the back end. I don't. It's tough to kind of put the puzzle together. But what I would say is that I can for sure see a Sean being an NHL um, bottom pair defenseman. At, at at the worst. I mean, I think he's an NHL 100%. His skating is 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 really really good and um he's so good on both sides. His his size may hurt him, but you know what? If there's an era in the NHL you can get away with it, it's now. And his skating will allow him to do so. Yeah. So um yeah, it I I think I think I think that when they're fully healthy on the back end, obviously McAvoy, Grizzlick, Carlo Lozon, that's four. They're not coming out of the lineup. Where where Ashan would have to squeeze in would have to be at the expense of a Kevin Miller or Zaboral. or Zaboral or something like that. And then maybe Cassidy. If Ashan really earns his spot, maybe Cassidy will make somebody go on their offside to fit Ashan in. But at the end of the day, it's it's a good problem to have. And um, I I really applaud the defense this year for how well they've played. You have to understand, they lost Krug, they lost Chara. So even when they're fully healthy this year, you're still kind of, if so facto, down a couple guys because you're still trying to gain that new chemistry as, as, a, as a defense unit. And they were doing that, and now the injuries, and they're still performing. Uh, so the defense is not the issue with this team right now, obviously, as we all know. But No. It is in the sense just that, like we said, they're so banged up right now. But right. when they get healthy, whenever that is... Yeah, it it should be a strength. It's you know, I still think you could be looking for a top four defenseman, uh, just from the sense of you know, do you trust all these young guys in the playoffs, or do you want to do you want to make sure? Do you want to get the surefire top four defenseman and then let Lausanne, Zaboral, Ashan, whoever battle it out for third pairing minutes? And you just transitioned perfectly into our last topic of conversation, which was your question. Are we sure the team is worth investing in at the trade deadline? So I think maybe Brian first. 
Oh boy, yeah, we'll save the best for last on this one with Scott. Or, or you yeah, we'll let, we'll let Scott go last. So we're, I'm going to try to pitch this as the are are we sure Scott question? Yeah, <laughs> I want I, I want to hear Scott's elevator pitch as to why, <laughs> but um, look, ultimately, I think yes. I mean, if you're not in it to win a Stanley Cup, then what are you doing, right? Now, if you're somebody like New Jersey or Detroit or Ottawa, you know you're still rebuilding, so your goal isn't to win a Stanley Cup. Make no mistake about it. The Brewers' goal is to win a cup right now, and and if you're not investing in a team that has uh, a potential Rocket Richard winner in a normal season in Pasternak, uh, a potential Hart winner in in Marchand, a potential Selkie in Bergeron, Norris in uh, McAvoy, Jack Adams in Cassidy, and a Vesna in Tuca, I mean, the Bruins literally have so many pieces in place. It's the depth, but that's why you have to invest in them. And furthermore. If you don't invest in them, how many more years do you have? This could be it for Krejci. And then Bergeron, look, Bergeron's still playing at an elite level, but he's 35. So at the most, you're going to get him for another couple seasons at what he can do. And, you know, Marshan's not getting younger, and obviously Tuca. So literally the the hour clock, whatever it's called, whatever, the thing you turn upside down, I don't know what those are called. <laughs> hourglass? Hourglass, <laughs> thank you. The hourglass, is, uh, it's, it's on its last few grains, so you have to. They're buyers. They're, they're bu- There's no other way around it. They're buyers. Um, they will never admit the management that they have there now would never admit that this team was ever going to be out of it. Um, and they honestly should get fired if they did act like this team was going to be a seller rather than a buyer because there's too much to give up on. And especially because of how they looked in the early part of the season, the adversity that they're facing, the, the pieces are there. They do need somebody to come in and help them out in relief for some of these guys that have been injured and for on offense, definitely, for the fact that they just cannot get that secondary scoring going. Well, either buy or sell, because if they do nothing, that's the worst-case scenario. Exactly. <laughs> do something. Yeah. They're, they're buy. So, so, yeah, I guess, so to answer my own, my own question, I say yes, they, they should absolutely be looking to add, but what worries me is what if Sweeney can't get a deal done, there's nothing – out there that he likes right now and, you know, maybe waits another couple of weeks for the market to sort itself out and the Bruins keep struggling. So we know they just won two in a row, but they come back from this pause and they lose two in a row, three out of four, whatever. And now they're, you know, maybe barely hanging on to a playoff spot or they're right in a race with the Flyers and maybe the Rangers and they're falling further behind the Islanders, Capitals, and Penguins. Like, does that become a kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy where Sweeney's saying, well, I've been waiting to see if this is a team's worth investing in and they keep losing and now they're kind of proving that maybe they're not like does I, I think the longer he waits, he risks that becoming a, a question that the front office has to discuss if the team keeps sliding. But as of now I say, yes, obviously invest like you're in playoff position. I don't think any team in your division is so dominant that you should be like, oh, man, like we can't catch them. Like, okay, even if you finish fourth in your division, if you make the right moves, if you go out and get that second-line scoring wing you need, you can beat the Islanders or the Capitals in a series. Yeah. I know the Islanders have had your number this year, but they're not some unstoppable force. Like, they're not the Tampa Bay Lightning. So Yeah, well, to that point, Scott, look, I don't care if they're one through four. Just be one through four. Yeah. And which they absolutely, even if they do nothing, they should be because right. the Flyers stink. The Flyers just gave nine goals to the Rangers. I know. Last week. Talk, talk about a uh, talk about a bad pick. I had the Flyers finishing atop I, the division. So did I mean, I. They, were, they were trending that way this year uh, before the season. But one one other reason, and you reminded me of it, Scott, um, as to why the Bruins should invest specifically this year, is because of their division. And if you look around at their division. Islanders have had their number. Well, they just lost their captain for the rest of the season in Andrews Lee. And you know that they're going to be looking to add now, too, because now they just freed up his money by yeah. putting him on long-term IR. So uh, could they have money to work with, too. Sean, Sean Couturier from the Flyers, he's out for a little bit now. And the Flyers, they're struggling, but they're definitely a threat for that fourth and final spot. So, And, and look, I don't have a ton of faith in the Penguins, ultimately, and who are the other? Uh, Washington. Washington, to me, is the one where... 
you're gonna have to get to me. You got to get through Washington if you want to get through this division. And so, by the way, Washington just went seven zero and zero during Tom Wilson's suspension. <laughs> That's because they have the depth. Now, the question, which we still don't really know the answer to, is who they're interested in going after. But yeah, um, if they don't make a move, then then they're on the hot seat when it when you look at it and they're like, at the end of the season and they're like, okay. What what was the plan here? Yeah, I I really do think that a team they need to circle, and it's a team they have history dealing with is Anaheim. And 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 since we last spoke, Scott, you mentioned how they weren't teetering too well, but they have dipped yeah, even more so. And really dropped. you know there are some players there to be acquired. Uh, Ryan Getzlaff is a name, Ricard Raquel and uh, Silverberg, and these guys they're going to be available and they're going to be hot commodities. So the so Don Sweeney has to be very aggressive. The problem is the Bruins don't have the best system to really um, offer to other teams in trade, but they'll have. He has to figure out a way, and uh, there, there's going to be more time to discuss. We have, I think, probably two more episodes before the deadline uh, comes and goes. But you got to be assertive, and he has to. Help. If Don Sweeney doesn't help this team, then what's he doing? Because he's not drafting particularly well, and honestly, I fear that the Bruins had their chance in 2019 and I don't know if they're going to get another one but hopefully I'm wrong but you know that's all the more reason to to go for it this you year have to. You because, have to yeah cuz you you're not going to have many cracks left of this so even if you think ah oh, man this team's not quite where we wanted it they're a little further off you kind of have to go for it because you can't just to your point you can't just sit back and do nothing and wait for next year and think you're going to you know, hit home runs in free agency or whatever. Because, by the way, you're also going back to a much stronger division next year. As, you know, we'll see if the NHL changes its mind, but assuming we go back to the regular divisions, you're going to have the Lightning back. You're going to have Toronto back, uh, who's really good. All Florida, t- who's really gonna good. You're also going to have Ottawa. <laughs> and, 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 and you you know what? We, we laugh at Ottawa, but they have something that the Bruins don't, and that's – Young centers for the future, and 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 Tampa has Braden Point, and Toronto has. I mean, go down the list of young young yeah. centers that they have, and uh, so it's like the Bruins. And unless Don Sweeney can go, but again, they don't have the collateral. But unless you can bring in uh, a young number one center already in the league, like a Jack Eichel or a Pierre Luc Dubois or something like that, you're gonna have to go through some growing pains once Bergeron's gone. And at that point, we'll be singing a different tune. And my answer then will be, you're not buying anything. But right now, you have to because you only have this window for so long. And every single season, it gets smaller and smaller to the point where right now, it could be completely closed after this year or the year after. So they have to do something um, as, far as, as far as buying. But I think that'll probably do it for this episode. The next time we speak, hopefully, knock on wood, uh, they'll have a few games under their belt in the garden with some fans. So if you're one of those fans, enjoy the hell out of it. Also, just take any games. <laughs> I just hope they're back playing by next Sunday. Yeah, because there won't be any uh, Hockey East finals or, or Northeast women's to... Yeah, by the way, sh- shout out to to Bridget's UMass winning there. UMass Amherst, first for, Hockey yeah. East championship. Yeah, yeah, so. the, yeah, the Boston Globe covered that pretty well, huh? <laughs> I, <laughs> I don't mean, think it was even mentioned in the I, Globe. I, I swear to God, mentioned the only reason... dot com. Yeah, the only reason I've seen it is because I went to UMass and everybody tweeted <laughs> about it after the game. Like, that's the only people i've seen distributing the news and the videos yeah and shout out to the northeastern women's team too uh an incredible season getting to the national championship and obviously a heartbreaking loss in overtime but that's still an unbelievable season and they have a a lot of great players coming back so maybe they can do it next year awesome well that'll do it for episode 43 follow the skate podcast on twitter i think it's at the skate pod yes Uh, myself scott and bridget will be tagged in those you can follow us as well Uh, we'll see you guys next week 